And now on Radio Verulam, the first part of Coronaville, a comedy in five parts. Lockdown comes to Dolphin Street. This is Dolphin Street. A street eerily silent. A street waiting for news. A street coming to terms with this most unfamiliar of new realities. Oh, and there's Marcia Gibson, out on her front lawn, glass in hand at this highly previous hour in the morning, looking out for the Ocado van, while showing off generous portions of her anatomy in what purports to be a nightdress. She toasts the postman, who sticks rigidly to the opposite side of the road ever since that humiliating incident last week. Well, we're not eating grass yet, are we, darling? (laughs) A tinkle of knowing laughter escapes her as she gloats over the garage full of Pinot, Merlot and Cabernet, as well as the few cases of fruit-flavoured gins for those especially tiresome days ahead. Delicious, empty calories, all completely fat-free and providing at least two of her five a day, surely. She's a girl with her head screwed on, if she says so herself. She doesn't notice little Orca Bradley riding his bike down the centre of the road. His mummy always tells him she had a whale of a time giving birth to him, which he's still a little too young to quite understand. One day, though, he'll discover irony, and his world will become just a little more chipped around the edges. But for now, he's simply enjoying the newly empty roads on what should have been a school day, wearing his sister's swimming goggles and an improvised face mask made up of three scarves stretched across his face. So uppermost are his parents' infection control strategies that they have forgotten all about the boy's itchy, sweaty cycling helmet hanging on the back of the door. All this good fortune Orca puts down to the awesome power of his lucky underpants, which he has decided to wear on a permanent basis for at least the next few weeks. Hello, Gerald, he trills. It's Mr Cardew to you, Sonny Jim. That's Gerald, and most certainly not Jerry. He's taking his first of many constitutionals of the day. One of the happy outcomes of this plague-ridden time, to his mind, is the sudden and most welcome absence of all this blasted hugging and kissing people go in for nowadays. You're introduced to the friend of a friend, and before you know it, she's hanging round your neck, leaving her ghastly perfume on you for the rest of the day. For Gerald, there is nothing so terrifying as a member of the female persuasion, old enough to know better, in heat, and bearing down on him at speed. It's a nightmare from which he wakes often. He's level with Marcia now and decides to really put the boot in. Put some wretched clothes on, woman. You look an absolute disgrace. And thus he distances himself irrevocably from yet another source of unwanted embrace. A breeze is starting to make itself felt on this promising Monday in mid-March. This will dry in no time, thinks Deirdre Penhaligon. She's pegging out the church linens she's been soaking in the bath overnight and realises with a little skip of relief that she won't be doing this again for quite some while. Now she understands why no one else volunteered for the job. It's very odd, though, that the church should shut up shop like this in a time of such emergency. What sort of a message does that give? 
She's not even allowed to retrieve the gloves she stupidly left by the font after matins yesterday. She doesn't believe for a moment that anyone would catch that horrid virus in a church in the middle of a service. God just wouldn't allow it. She knows he wouldn't. So why doesn't the vicar know that? And the bishop? And the archbishop? Where the hell is their faith? For a moment she's assaulted by a blinding beam of light from above and seriously considers taking it as a sign until she remembers it's the reflective brilliance of the tinfoil her neighbour Nigel has applied to all his window panes. Poor spaced-out Nigel. Lurid conspiracy theorist Nigel, up to his old tricks again. Now there's something really globally gruesome to set his stressed-out brain cells working on. And make no mistake, this is the big one. The event he's been waiting for ever since he was sent down from Cambridge in the 70s for being too weird. SARS and avian flu were just the warm-up. He's tried phoning Porton down so often the police have had to get involved. But what Nigel, who withholds his surname on security grounds, is sure of, is that this outbreak is no accident. I mean, come on, man. A virus that only does for the frail and elderly, right? Coming out of Wuhan, yeah? Just when China's ageing population is about to become a problem. You're not telling me that's a coincidence. All planned, you see, decades ago. I know these things. Screw the world economy, then buy us up, body and soul. Be speaking Chinese before the year is out. But no one listens to Nigel. They never do. And he lights another spliff to console himself. At number 17, the alarm clocks went off three hours ago, but the Jacksons are still in bed. Separate beds. Separate bedrooms. The week before last, they let it be known as plausibly as they knew how that they had succumbed and would be self-isolating for two weeks. Two weeks far away from all those unreasonable demands at the office. Two weeks of luscious, if not downright filthy, self-indulgence. And two whole glorious weeks freed from the prying eyes and meddlesome manners of that monstrous busybody, Arlene Michaels next door. Yes, Two entire weeks without her barging in, popping round or calling through the letterbox. What a whopping, all-encompassing wheeze this was going to be. But two achingly beautiful weeks turned rather quickly into two interminable, soul-destroying eons, with only themselves for company, picking away at each other's faults until they bled. And Arlene's retro cookware, building up, unheeded, on their doorstep, filled, they had no doubt, with some working-class abomination or other. Now neither of them is willing to take the first conciliatory step, even if it means staying in bed all day. So when a knock at the door sounds, they both silently tell Arlene what she can do to herself. The shattering sound of their front door giving way has a somewhat different effect, and the heavy boots powering up the stairs really get their attention. One of them's in here. You're all right, sir. Your neighbour was worried about you. Why didn't you answer the door? 
As for Arlene, who's had her long-cherished trip to New Zealand to see her newest grandchild cancelled, she wishes she could decamp to Ambridge, the only place in Britain seemingly unaware of the coronavirus pandemic. Coronaville was produced under lockdown conditions by writer Jane Fuchs in her pyjamas and narrated and recorded by Jill Priest when the kids were asleep.